Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you're able, uh, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word as I, I'm just going to read verses 26 through 33 at this time, but we plan to go all the way through verse 56 this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, once again, we have been given a gift from you to gather together to open up your word. And so we ask that, again, as we've already asked, we ask that you would, by your spirit, take your word. Take that which is familiar to us, maybe this true story of Mary, which we've heard many times. I ask that you would give us fresh eyes to see. Lord, we ask that you would transform us. We don't know how you do it, but we ask that you would transform us by your word and by your spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I recently came across an article from runnersworld.com. That is a website that is dedicated to helping runners become better runners. And it, it was a, an article that was written by Taylor Dutch. I'm just going to read part of it for you. One of the most surprising moments of the 2022 New York City Marathon came early on, despite unseasonably warm temperatures. In the first kilometer of the men's race, Daniel No Nascimento surged ahead at a blazing pace. He passed the first major mark marker in 14 minutes and 31 seconds, already 29 seconds ahead of the chase pack. And I have a picture of him. That should be, there he is. <clears throat> By 10 kilometers, he was on a pace to finish eight seconds faster 
than the world record. The Brazilian kept pushing his lead until the wheels started to come off just after mile 18. Daniel, feeling strong and confident in the first half of the race, told Runner's World that he started to experience stomach problems when he arrived in the Big Apple. Stomach problems combined with excessive heat on race day forced him to use a portable toilet a few miles beyond halfway. After he emerged back on the course, dehydration took over, he said. And about 10 minutes later, Daniel grabbed his left quad and collapsed in the 21st mile where race personnel attended to him. So here's a picture of him um, at the end of his race. Obviously, he did not finish his race. And you know, as it has been said, and as it is true, it has been said that it's not how you start the race, right, but how you finish it, right? And as I mentioned last week, we are living in a day and an age where countless numbers who entered the race of following Christ, those who were once running well and feeling strong and confident like Daniel, they are collapsing on the course. They are abandoning their faith, unwilling and unable to finish the race that they began. And, you know, the truth is, if we are, if we are honest, there are times as disciples of Jesus that we also grow weary in our race. Amen? There are times even when the most seasoned disciples are tempted to exit the race, to ask, is this race really worth running? And that's why we need to be together, and that's why we need to be reminded by God's Scripture, like in James 1.12. This is one of my go-tos when I'm tired and weary in a trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Or Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and look at this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to, not ourselves, to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It is common for even us disciples of Jesus to grow weary and faint-hearted. And I know that all of us who truly belong to Jesus, all of us who have come to Jesus, put our faith in him, who have received the Holy Spirit, we have been given this God-given desire, not just to, to finish the race, but to finish the race well. We want to, uh, to know that we were faithful in this generation that we were put in, but not only that, we want to know that we were faithful to pass the baton of the gospel that's been entrusted to us to the next generation and the generations beyond. Basically, uh, what we want to hear at the end of our lives, when we stand before the Lord, and all of us will stand before the Lord, everyone will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. We want to be able to hear Jesus say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. And you know what I've realized is um, through God's word, what I have realized by living this life, what, have I, what I have realized by watching others live this life is that faithfulness does not happen by accident. Bearing fruit doesn't just happen by accident. It requires we intentionally pay attention, as Hebrews uh, chapter 2 says, pay attention to what we have heard, the word of God, lest we drift away from it, and pay attention to those who have gone before us, who have finished well. Just as I, I read just a second ago, ago, we need to pay attention to who God has surrounded us with, a great cloud of witnesses, faithful examples that God has given us, like Mary in our passage today, who ran her race and she finished well. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to take time to examine this leg of her race, this section of, of Scripture that we're in. I want to examine that to see what she discovered in order to be encouraged and to remain faithful to the Lord. And before we get there, if, if you were with us last week, you, you might remember that we learned that God broke his 400 years of prophetic silence by sending the, the angel Gabriel to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were an elderly couple who were barren, and he sent the angel Gabriel to him to announce that in their old age, they were going to be given a son whose name would be John, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah who had been prophesied since Genesis chapter 3. And as we just read in verse 26, it says that in the sixth month, that is, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, it says, to a city of uh, of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that word city, we probably wouldn't think of Nazareth as a city. Uh, in the time of Jesus, Nazareth was a tiny little, what we would call podunk village, where, where scholars have estimated that the, the population there was probably somewhere between 50 and maybe up to 400 inhabitants. It was small. It was an insignificant community that was populated by peasant farmers, probably who, uh, most of them, probably were illiterate. They couldn't read or write, and uh, they were barely scraping by just to pay their taxes and to put food on their tables. And so the angel comes to, to Mary, and in verse 27 it says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, when you think about Mary, if you've seen manger scenes growing up, how old does Mary look in, the, in these these uh, scenes like the one that's about to come up here on the screen. Mid-20s, early 30s, right? That's usually what, what we picture her being. But uh, back in the days of Jesus, it was, it was very common for young girls to be betrothed in their early teens. And many Christian historians have reasoned that Mary was probably somewhere around the age of 15 or 16. And in verse uh, 27, it says that she was betrothed she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, being betrothed in biblical times was much more binding than what we call our engagements, uh, being engaged today in our day and age. Uh, this was uh, 
a betrothal happened before the wedding ceremony. And what they would do is they would have a betrothal ceremony where the couple would, would come publicly before family and friends and they would make vows that could only be broken through divorce. And at, the, at that time, they would be considered, after that ceremony, they would be considered husband and wife. And as many of you know, they would still uh, live separately for a year in their family's homes, and they would abstain from any type of sexual intimacy until a year later when, when they would actually have the wedding ceremony, and then they would come together and consummate their marriage. And what I just said is crucial to understand in this passage. Because if you notice, in verse 27, Luke emphasizes that Mary was a what? Virgin. I, I highlighted, it, highlighted it here in the scripture. And this is extremely important because the virgin conception is something that is clearly taught in scripture. It's clearly taught in the word of God. It does not just mean that she was a young maiden, even though that is what it means in part. But it's important to understand that she had never been with a man. And, and this, is, this is taught not just here in our passage, but also let's look at Matthew 1.18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, look at it, look at it before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What I'm getting at is this is a supernatural, miraculous work. That has just happened. And this is where I want to point out that, that, that many people's wheels of faith begin to fall off sometimes because of this. There's, they begin to have spiritual stomach issues. They begin to have spiritual leg cramps. And many have left the race because of Luke's gospel. Not just Luke's gospel, but also much what's found in much of the Bible. Because it is filled filled. Luke's gospel and the word of God is filled with supernatural and miraculous events like the virgin birth. Now, I want to be clear about what I mean by supernatural and miraculous. I want to give a definition of what that means. It means it is an event that transcends God's ordinary laws of nature and can only be attributed to the supernatural work and influence of God. Now, to bring even more clarity to this, sometimes we can say that something is miraculous and it's not. Okay? For example, we might refer to a birth, a baby being born, as something that's miraculous. I don't know why people don't believe in God when they see a baby born. That is such a miraculous event. And to be sure, it is amazing when a child is born, it's, it's amazing that it requires God's interaction for children to be conceived, to develop in the womb, and to breathe their first breath. But childbirths do not, are not miraculous. They fall under the ordinary laws of nature. Uh, in 2022, just under 134 million babies popped out into this world. 134 million. Um, relatively speaking, it's pretty common for a baby to be born, isn't it? It's amazing, but it's pretty common. How many of you, just to, to prove it, how many of you in the last year know somebody that had a baby? Just raise your hand. Okay. 
All right, everybody in this room's hand is raised because it's common. It's, it's wonderful, but it's not a miracle. Let me ask you this. How many of you know somebody that's 70 or 80 who had a baby in the last year? Who's ever had a baby when they were 70 or 80? Nobody, right? How many of you know a virgin that has had a baby? Not, not how many of you know a virgin? How many of you know a virgin that's had a baby, okay? A miracle occurs, again, when God overrides the natural laws of nature that he has set into place. I love what R.C. Sproul says about why God gives us miracles, why God gave miracles. He says, you know, all right, I won't try to imitate him. Miracles in the Bible are not given to persuade people of the existence of God. The existence of God is already established long before there is any kind of episodes of the miraculous. The purpose of the miracle in the Bible is not uh, to prove the existence of God, but it is to prove the legitimacy legitimacy and the validity of an, of an agent of revelation, of someone whom God has commissioned to speak his word. The purpose of the miracle is to verify the messenger of the word of God. That's what's happening. That's what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. God is trying to waken everybody up and saying, this is not some ordinary baby. This is a miracle. He's going to speak my word. You need to pay attention to this. This is unordinary. This is a miracle. He is going to be speaking my word. And a virgin conceiving and bearing a son, that had never happened. That hasn't happened since, and it will never happen again. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, was no ordinary baby. There's no one that will ever be like Jesus. This God is pointing to is the promised Messiah. This is the son of David. This is the, the son of God. And scripture teaches this. And yet still there are those who want to identify with believers who question this. And, and there are those who, I don't know if they're, they're trying to, to make... Uh, the truths of Christianity more palatable or they're trying to make it more believable. There's some that, are, that try to erase and explain away the supernatural and the miraculous. Not realizing that God has given us these signs to help convince us that Jesus really is indeed the promised Messiah. I love how Alistair Begg encouraged us like this. Like this. Like this. He says, resist the inv invitation to keep fashionably silent about the incarnation, about the atonement, and about the resurrection. To do so is to peel the onion down to its virtual non-existence. To reduce Christianity to some easily swallowable, bland, inoffensive me mess of pottage, which leaves everybody very, very hungry within an hour and 20 minutes. If you take away the supernatural from the Word of God, which it, you'll be taking away what really happened, but if you take it away, what does, the, what does it reduce the, the Bible to? Just a book of good morals and how we can live better. We, listen, if you wonder what Reach Life Church believes, we believe in the supernatural and miraculous events that are recorded in Scripture. 
And even after I say that, I want you to know that it's okay to have questions. Um, We all have questions. It's okay to struggle with this if you're struggling with it, if you're struggling to believe the truth, to know the truth. And if you're taking notes, this is where I want you to write down the first gospel truth or the first thing that we see about Mary's faith. And that is that Mary's faith was deepened through understanding. Again, I'm saying that it's okay to ask questions. Mary deepened her faith through understanding. Mary believed God, but she wasn't afraid to ask questions. Look at verse 34. Again, it says, And Mary said to the angel, after the angel had told her that she would bear the Son of God, what does she say to him? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if you were with us last week, if you're familiar with the the verses before, you may be asking, what's the difference between Mary's question and Zechariah's question? Because he asked a question, too, before the angel Gabriel, and God uh, disciplined him by making him mute. Well, I believe that the difference is, is that Mary, she believed what the angel was saying as he was saying it, whereas Zechariah did not. Mary believed that she would conceive, but she asks, how will this be? Because um, since virgins can't have babies, how is this going to happen? I believe it's going to happen, but how is it going to happen? Zechariah understood exactly what the angel was saying, that Elizabeth would have a baby through their union. But he didn't believe, I believe he didn't believe that God could do what he said he would do. How can I know this is what he said. And you know what, there really is a difference when we're asking questions. There is, really is a difference between faith seeking to understand the truth and unbelief that seeks for reasons not to believe the truth. And there are many websites and uh, individuals who are dedicated to asking questions, not so that they can believe, but so they don't have to believe. And those are the questions, those are the questions that God does not accept when we're seeking not to believe. But you know, sometimes in Christian circles, uh, we can unintentionally silence those who are truly seeking to know the truth those who are genuinely asking questions to really understand what the Scriptures are teaching. And I can remember, you know, most of you who know me know my testimony is that I was raised in the church. I don't know a day uh, that that I don't remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I came to Jesus at age six, but, and this is what I tell parents all the time, there comes a, a time when your child, even if they get saved under your your roof, they're going to have to come to a time where their faith becomes theirs. They come out underneath yours. I'm not saying they they don't believe, but they're going to have to be able to stand alone in their faith. And that time came for me uh, when I was in in about ninth or 10th grade. I was in public school and I was surrounded by different views. I, I came into different views. And I remember asking questions like, okay, I was raised in a Christian home. So what if I'd been raised in a Buddhist home? Wouldn't I be a Buddhist? I would ask questions like that, or I would take the Bible and I would look at it and say, how can I trust this book above like the Quran or the Book of Mormon? Who's to say which one is is true? And 
Uh, I would, when, when I would ask hard questions like that, sometimes people in the church would look at me and just say, you know, James, you just got to have faith. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that settles it for me. But that didn't settle it for me. I wanted to know. Am I following the truth? Because so many people are saying that they are following the truth. And here's what I just want to remind you. Remember that last week when we opened up the book of Luke, chapter 1, I think it's verse 4, Luke wrote the gospel. He tells us why he wrote it. He said, so that we may have certainty of the things that we have been taught. And what Luke said was, he says, I have examined the evidence And I believe, and I've compiled it for you, and he's saying you examine the evidence for yourself and see what what conclusion that you come to. But I I, I will tell you, if you truly are seeking to know if Jesus is really who he says he is, he will show you the truth, if we are truly seeking that. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus himself, who says he is the truth, welcomes truth seekers. Luke eleven nine, 9, very well-known verses that Jesus said. He says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And Mary is a great example of someone uh, And she teaches us that God welcomes questions that are asked in faith. And maybe this morning you're here and you really don't know if Jesus is who he claimed to be. But you want to find out the truth about it. Uh, We we hope that you will feel, uh, feel like you're in a place where you can ask questions, where you can seek the truth. You can say that where you really are at. You don't have to pretend to say the right thing around us. Uh, even if you have come to Jesus, there may be things that you're struggling with, things that you, different uh, ideas that you have. We are not afraid to sit down and talk. Let's open up the scriptures. Let's see what you're, what you're believing. Let's talk about it. Let's come to the truth. By, by no means do I think that I have seen all truth. And there's many things that I thought I knew when I was younger that I realized God's like, okay, now I'm going to show you the truth about that. So we're always growing in our knowledge. We should be growing in our knowledge of what, who Jesus is. Uh, and we should be a, a place where anyone who is truly seeking to know the truth, anyone who is truly seeking to know God through Jesus is welcome to do that. That's what Mary is doing. She's saying, I don't understand. Tell me how this is going to happen since I'm a virgin. And in verse 35 says, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus says it in Matthew 19, 26. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then verse 38, and Mary said, 
I love her response to this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What we see here is that Mary's faith was deepened through understanding, through her asking questions. And the deeper her um, understanding came, it gave her the ability to submit even more to the Lord. She submit herself fully to the will of God. The second gospel truth that I want to see here in this passage is that Mary's faith not only was deepened through understanding, but it was also encouraged through fellowship. It was encouraged through fellowship. Let's look at verse 39. In those days, that is right after the the angel has left, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, before Gabriel came to Mary, she probably, uh, her life was probably heading in one direction. She was, as we already know, she was planning to get married. Uh, She was probably wanting just to have a little home uh, and quietly raise her children in Nazareth. But through the Holy Spirit, she has become a pregnant virgin. She's become a pregnant virgin, something that is humanly impossible, but with God all things are possible. And you know, when Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be uh, to me according to your word. We need to, to understand, when she said that, it cost her everything. It cost her everything. There's, there's no doubt that agreeing with God's plan cost her her reputation. If you say yes to God's plan, at some point it will cost you something. It will cost you your life. And it cost her her life. It cost her her reputation. I want you to, I mean, think about it. Who would believe her? Hey, I'm pregnant. Really, who's the husband? God. I, w- I want you to think about that. If that really happened today. I was trying to think of something other than uh, that kind of situation that I could, could share with you. But let me, t- let me ask you this. What if before... Uh, when I stood up here, I said, you know what, before I preach every, every week, I'm behind that curtain, and every week I meet with Jesus. And you'd probably go, good, I'm glad you're praying, I'm glad you're meeting with Jesus. No, I'm saying I meet with Jesus in the flesh. Like, he's, he brings himself to me and shows, just like I'm standing before you, I see Jesus. What would you think about that? Most of you would probably go, ha, ha, that's funny, James, you're being funny. No, I'm serious. I sit down with Jesus every single week back behind this curtain. You guys, honestly, you would be like, okay, it's time to, to, to look for another church. This is not working. You would, you would not believe me, right? But what if it was true? I wouldn't tell you probably because I know you wouldn't believe me. But Mary, Mary is going to start showing at some point. She's not going to be able to hide that. And who would believe her? Because even Joseph, a righteous man, did not believe her at first. What did it take to to get Joseph to believe? 
he had to have an angel come to him in a dream to convince him. And he was a righteous man. So, Mary, probably, now I'm, this isn't in the text, but probably knowing this, she goes to her relative Elizabeth quickly. Why? Because Gabriel had told her that Elizabeth, in her old age, had also conceived a son. And Mary knew that Elizabeth would believe her and encourage her in her faith. You know what she's doing here? She's seeking fellowship with other believers. Let's look at verse 41. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate her and give her some, some understanding. Verse 42 says, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The Holy Spirit gave her revelation into that. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary sought fellowship with those who also believed, and could encourage her. This is such a picture of the church, isn't it? Because we are living in a world that, for the, for the, for the most part, does not believe in Jesus. And, and, and as I stated before, if we're honest, there are so many times that we get weary in this walk, in this race, as we're seeking to follow Jesus and be faithful. And there's, there's times when, again, I said, as I said, the most seasoned disciples are tempted to exit the race, or at least sit down, take a break. But this passage is reminding me that we need fellowship. We need to be around others who believe the truth about Jesus. We need to surround ourselves with what God calls that cloud of witnesses who can remind us, you're not crazy. You're not alone. Jesus really did come from heaven, born of a virgin. He really did live a perfect life. He never sinned. Why? So that he could be that perfect sacrifice. And he really did die on a cross willingly for your sins. You really are valuable to God. How do we know? I just said it. Jesus died for you on the cross for your sins. And we need to be reminded that Jesus really was buried. He was really dead. And he really did come back to life, just like we sang a minute ago. He conquered death. He has no rivals. He rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And not only that, he's really coming back for us. So don't give up. Keep running. Don't quit the race because it will be worth it. That's why we need to be in fellowship. And, you know, I wonder as I have been just meditating on this passage, I wonder what it was like for Mary She's a young teenager. Elizabeth was 70, 80 years old. 
to, to come under Elizabeth's wing. Just what that must have felt like. To be encouraged by someone who was seasoned in their faith. And she, it says that she stayed there for three months. And during that time, I wondered, did Elizabeth share about her life? About how she had endured. How she had endured the reproach of her barrenness for decades. And it didn't make sense to her. But God, has, in, in her lifetime, has made it make sense now. God had something bigger. Did Elizabeth warn Mary about the trials that she would, would encounter? Because if you seek to be faithful to Jesus, you will encounter trials that come because of your desire to be faithful to Jesus. Did she warn her about that? Did Elizabeth spend time with her, praying with her, encouraging her in the scriptures? Did she encourage her to stay faithful and to endure under trial because ultimately God is faithful to his promises and that he's not going to leave you, he's not going to forsake you? I, it doesn't say that in the text. But I can't imagine it not, that not happening. Especially, and this is the third and final truth that I want to share this morning, is, and that is that Mary's faith magnified and rejoiced in the Lord. She has this, this conversation with Elizabeth, and it says in verse 46, this is known as the Mary song or the Magnificent. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, what happened, what's happening here is after she, she's recognizing this is God's activity, God is in this, that he's in her life. Mary is overwhelmed with thanksgiving and she opens with this unrestrained Praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Why are all generations going to call her blessed? Not because of anything she did or is going to do. Here's why it says it in verse 49. For he, or because he who is mighty, has done great things for me. That's why she is re, should be regarded as blessed. Because of what God has done for her and his holy name. She points to, she exalts not herself, she exalts God. In verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. God keeps his word. And Mary's faith, and in her faith, she magnifies, she exalts and rejoices in the Lord. In other words, her focus 
was not on herself or her circumstances. Her focus was on who God is and what he's done. She exalted God above all. Now notice in verse 56, (coughs) it says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So it doesn't say, again, it doesn't say this in the text, but she, Elizabeth was at nine months, so there's a big possibility that she was there for the birth of John. And I think, don't you start showing at three months a lot of, time, a lot of times? Maybe, sometimes. Okay. She's going to start showing soon. She has to go back home. To those who are going to question what, what she's going to say. And at some point, she could no longer hide that Jesus was in her. And when Mary told her friends, when she, when she told her neighbors, when she told her relatives, hey, yeah, um, I have the Messiah in me, um, how do you think they responded? The same way that many people respond to us. Now, Jesus is not in us bodily form like he was in Mary, but Jesus is in us if you've put your faith in Jesus. You've you've been given by his Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit, and you've been born again. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us. And so sometimes, I think when Mary talked to people, sometimes maybe if they were righteous and uh, they could hear from God, they believed. And there's times that we're going to share that Jesus is in us, and there's going to be times that people are going to look at us like they would marry. But then there's going to be other times that they're going to believe. So I would ask, one of the questions I would ask is, who has God put you around? Where is he, who has he placed you around for you to bring Jesus to, for you to share Jesus with? Why if, if someone's coming to your mind and you're afraid to share, why are you afraid to share? It's because probably because of what it's going to cost you. But what will it cost them if they don't turn to Jesus? And I praise God. I praise God that Mary was willing to submit herself and to lay down her life to bring us Jesus. And in a similar way, we can do that to the world that we live in. And I just want to close by saying that maybe you have questions this morning. Maybe you're struggling with something. Let's get together and talk. Let's get together and spend time together and talk about that. Um, Maybe you're needing fellowship. Well, I want to encourage you to come to missional communities this week. One of the things I want to do this week in our missional communities is I want you to come with questions that you have. Questions that are kind of like nagging you maybe at the back, in the back of your mind. Let's spend some time in fellowship together. And then the last thing I want to encourage you to do is to do what Mary did, and that is to magnify and rejoice in the Lord. To focus on who he is and what he's done for us.